Welcome back to our Saturday Coffee Clutch with Heather Lofthouse, who is Executive Director of Inequality Media Civic Action. Uh, Heather has distinguished herself throughout her illustrious career, including... Um, oh, Heather, I, I don't even know where to begin, but I do know that you were one of my students way That's back. That's true. And, I've held a few, and, yeah, I've held a few roles. I've been a student. And you I, I don't know great, if it was illustrious. You were a great singer. You are a great singer. Heather, this week um, has, a, it, it's not a typical August week, uh, and uh, it, it's sort of not a typical coffee clutch either. Uh, can you bring us up to date on what has happened particularly with uh, Merrick Garland? Well, right. Well, first of all, every time I hear him, I think I wish he were in a different place than he is. Do you still feel that? I have. A, I hate it. You mean that you wish he were be on Supreme, the Supreme Court, Court Justice? <laughs> yes. So I see him. I think that every time I see yeah. him. Anyway, he made an announcement yesterday, um, and he came on. Dun da da dun. We didn't know what he was going to say, and now we know that he has announced that David Weiss, the U.S. Attorney General in Delaware, who's been handling the Hunter Biden case, will now become special counsel. What does that mean in the bigger picture? Well, uh, two things. Number one, it means that he is legally, that is David Weiss, is given a little bit more independence, a little bit more staff, uh, a little bit more leeway to take the investigation in any direction he wishes. Uh, secondly, though, it does equip Republicans with a little bit more of what they've wanted. Uh, they've wanted to be able to say, in effect, well, you know, uh, Donald Trump is not the only one who's under investigation. Donald Trump is not the only one who's, who's created any legal difficulties for himself. Joe Biden has as well, indirectly. Now, granted, uh, Hunter Biden is not uh, you know, Joe Biden, but Hunter Biden's difficulties would not have arisen were it not for Joe Biden. I think that's ridiculous, uh, but it is going to somehow provide Republicans with this kind of, uh, this ammo. Right. But I think it also, I mean, I think it's, I mean, I don't love any of it, but I think it's smart strategically to those who say, you know, the MAGA people and others saying you are persecuting and prosecuting Trump and there's no justice and it's not about the law. We are saying this is, there is law and this is, you know, happening on both sides. Isn't that helpful? Well, exactly. This fundamentally is about the rule of law. And what the rule of law means, put simply, is that no person is above the law, regardless of their power, their position, their relatives. Uh, and uh, I think you're exactly right. Uh, this does emphasize that point. Um, it does certainly emphasize the point rhetorically and legally, uh, but uh, how it plays on Fox News uh, or Newsmax, well, you can imagine. Right, exactly. Now, Trump has been, I mean, I don't know if harassing is too strong of a word, but he has been putting things out on Truth Social in all caps and violating conditions of his release this week. How is that, what is that, how is that allowed? By the way, do you find it difficult to read something when it's all in caps? I mean, I it certainly sounds, I mean, it, all caps, I find, you know, maybe I'm That's old-fashioned. I like, 
I like low lowercase, you know? You mean, right, in initial caps, you like the usual. I, I like the usual. Uh, what Donald Trump has done uh, is violate very explicit instructions that were given to him when he was arrested, arraigned, uh, the, the most recent time uh, in Washington, D.C., uh, for his attempts to essentially overturn the 2020 election. Uh, and he was told by the magistrate judge in that hearing that mm -hmm. one of the conditions for release, uh, and remember, Heather, background here, 400,000 Americans right now who have been accused of violating the law, criminal law, are now awaiting their trials in prison. Uh, they are in pretrial detention. Uh, Donald Trump was told that he, he do, doesn't have to be in pretrial detention as long as he, uh, well, one of the conditions was he doesn't intimidate any witness. He doesn't attempt to intimidate any witness. He doesn't harass any potential witness. He doesn't uh, do anything that is any, in any way going to um, obstruct justice further. Now, Less than 24 hours after that admonition, uh, he was on uh, social media, Truth Social, uh, berating mm -hmm. uh, Vice President Pence and saying that Pence has gone to the dark side. A mm -hmm. And then he continued all weekend, and really he has throughout this week, uh, gone after uh, the judge, in the, pre the presiding judge in the case, gone after the prosecution, uh, Jack Smith, uh, really uh, with, with, with the kind of language that potentially could endanger their lives, could inflame Trump supporters. And this is why it was so important that the, that the magistrate judge uh, last week uh, mm -hmm. give those instructions to Trump as a condition of his release, uh, because there is a mob out there, a dangerous mob, as we saw on January 6th, as we've seen since then, um, and, and people uh, can get very, very upset, irate, and potentially violent. I know, and he's stoking it all. I feel like we should rebrand Truth Social as temper tantrum. Well, it's worse than a temper tantrum. I mean, he's gone after Nancy Pelosi again, even after uh, the horrible incident in which somebody broke into Nancy Pelosi's house uh, yeah. and attacked her husband. I mean, this is... This is beyond unreasonable. It's beyond irresponsible. Uh, it is uh, really a kind of ongoing incitement. But when you have a criminal trial, Heather, what I want to emphasize is that he is violating a very specific uh, provision of right. his condition for being released pending trial. Uh, now, what do you do about that? Well, normally there is a what's called a show cause hearing in mm. which a defendant has to show cause through the defendant's uh, lawyer why the defendant should not be held in contempt, be fined, or to be or put in prison. Right. Is this going to happen? Uh, it hasn't happened yet. Uh, and uh, I, I, I don't know why not. Uh, if he continues in the vein he's going, that is Trump, uh, I think that the presiding judge should do this. Right. And that's Tanya Chutkin, right? I'm pretty sure. Um, yeah. yeah, it's cruel, it's ugly, it's dangerous, and it feels relentless. 
I mean, this guy, he just doesn't stop. Um, so one thing from the week that is so heartbreaking is we know that there's a climate crisis. We continue to see different examples of who um, the climate crisis is hurting, you know, daily almost. And so what happened in Maui, there has been a drought and it has led to fires. And the last numbers I saw were over 55 dead. It's horrible. Well, it's, it's, it, it's, it's, it's horrible. It's tragic. Um, it, it's, uh, it's just the, the latest example, really, of how the climate crisis is taking people's lives, whether we're talking about fires or droughts or floods uh, across America and across the world, uh, which, uh, you know, I, I don't want to politicize this conversation. These people uh, in Hawaii, you know, obviously, I mean, are, are it's, it's a terrible personal tragedy. Uh, but let me just point out, Heather, that mm -hmm. this past week, um, the New York Times broke the story that uh, one of the major projects being undertaken right now in the Republican Party in preparation for uh, a putative Trump victory uh, is called Project 2025, which yep. is uh, staffed by former Trump, uh, you know, anti-climate change crazies uh, who are saying essentially that there is no evidence uh, of climate change or certainly human-induced climate change. And what they are planning to do if Trump is elected is to roll back even the modest set of, of environmental regulations and uh, many of the subsidies for wind and solar that have been built into recent legislation uh, and open more federal lands and uh, the Arctic to drilling uh, and really make the situation far worse. Uh, so it's impossible to look at what's happening now in Hawaii, what's happening across this country, across the world in terms yeah. of human suffering uh, and not understand and not acknowledge that the Republican Party under Trump and Trump himself and the people who are getting ready to work for Trump if there is a Trump administration are going to make the situation far, far worse. I mean, I saw in the New York Times they called it a battle plan for dismantling. I mean, a battle plan? And this is, God, I mean, big oil is just, their fingerprints, their oily fingerprints are all over this. Big, boy, big oil is behind this. The money, I mean, follow the money. It's coming from these big oil companies that have made extraordinary profits over the past few years. Uh, and they're putting some of those profits into, as they have in the past, but now in a, uh, even more cynical a way. Uh, they yeah. testify, the oil executives, they testify on the Hill and they say, we are committed to reducing carbon emissions. But then what do they do? They pour money into politics. Uh, they get ready for a Trump administration. Uh, they get ready for rolling back all of these environmental protections. Uh, and, uh, you know, I, 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 it, it's beyond irresponsible on the part of the oil executives. I, I, I think that if the United States were party to the International Court of, of Justice, uh, International Criminal Court, uh, mm -hmm. you know, we might even suggest uh, that these are crimes against humanity. I know. I would agree with that. The, but this, we're not going to get to that point yet, are we? No. 
Uh, I doubt it. I mean, I, I, I think that the most we can do, all of us, everybody listening, uh, everybody who is concerned about the climate crisis, uh, is to make absolutely sure that Donald Trump does not get close to the White House ever again. Yeah, I know. I mean, this is, I think, the theme of every clutch and, the, and every point we talk about here. So one good win for the week, I would say, and something you've been working on for years, is the ratio of CEO pay to average worker pay and how it is, you know, tenfold, twentyfold, it just continues to grow. Now, the United Auto Workers um, are in the midst of demanding uh, that the big three automakers give its members of its union a 40% raise over the next four years in terms of the contract. Now, where does that 40% come from? This is a win, right? Well, it's a demand. Uh, I think the UAW uh, is saying to the big three, the big three automakers in the United States, uh, you need to match from now on any increase in your executive pay, the pay of the CEO, uh, with the same percentage increase in pay of our members, uh, the rank and file, people who are working in your companies. Uh, it's, I, I think it's a very clever and important step. Uh, it's one of many demands that the UAW is making of the big three. Uh, but of all those demands, this one stands out, Heather, because, uh, you know, when I was uh, thinking about beginning to look at the uh, U.S. economy in the 1960s, uh, the CEO pay uh, was about 20 to 1 in terms of a ratio of CEOs to a typical worker pay. And then in the 1970s, it got to be 60 to 1. And then when Bill Clinton ran for office in 1992, uh, it was 100 to 1. And he, he was outraged. I was outraged. I was advising him at the time. Uh, I urged him to, to propose during that campaign uh, that no CEO pay above a uh, million dollars a year uh, should be deductible from a company's taxable income. And he did right. propose that. Uh, and uh, ironically, sadly, uh, my my colleague in the cabinet, Bob Rubin, who mm -hmm. had been uh, on Wall Street, uh, got to Bill Clinton and said, no, no, that's a bad idea. You should not limit CEO pay. Why not limit CEO pay in terms of uh, what companies can write off or what companies can deduct uh, to any pay, any pay that's, that's not connected uh, to shareholder value that is mm -hmm. not performance-based. And that's ultimately what, what Clinton did. And, and Heather, that, that opened the floodgates even right. worse. Uh, after that, CEO pay continued to rise relative to worker pay to the point where right now, by some measures, it's about 350 to 1. Um, and so the, the, the UAW, mm. uh, sensitive to all of this, obviously, uh, is uh, you know is 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 using the court of public opinion uh, mm -hmm. because that's ultimately very very important uh, and uh, I think the public is going to be hundred percent behind the UAW right and I think it's such an important framing it's not just workers need raises it's relative to what's happening at the top I know we've had a local so you and I live in Berkeley. And in San Francisco, they have the overpaid executive tax. 
which is so interesting and a different way to tackle the problem. And that's been generating some decent income because so many executives are overpaid. <laughs> but it's it's interesting yeah. to see the there are different ways to combat this. And so we're seeing it, this more and more, and it's so important. It, it is very important. And the public, interestingly, thinks by 70% of the public thinks CEOs are overpaid, but they don't know how much CEOs mm -hmm. are overpaid. That is, um, a survey done by Stanford a few years ago found that uh, most members of the public think that CEOs are actually earning about one-tenth of what CEOs are in fact earning. Uh, and if the public learned that <laughs> CEOs today are getting more than 300 times the pay of the typical worker, uh, you know, there would, there would be a much more of an uproar about all of this. Right. Well, public perception, I mean, it's fascinating. And this moves us into Bidenomics, what's actually happening in the economy. And we can define that in different ways. You know, we're not talking about the stock market when we say that. We're talking about what's happening to average people in terms of wages and jobs. But so people still, and I liked you said this in one of your substacks this week, the economy's doing well and it takes time for public perceptions to catch up. Um, but you seem to have some hope that they will catch up in the coming months, and we do have a big election next year. Um, what what else about Bidenomics? Where there's where are there misses between what's actually happening and public perception, and how do we close that gap? Well, I, I, there's a lot. There's been a lot of ink spilled and a lot of rhetoric about how the public is not giving Biden credit, uh, and maybe worries connected to all of that rhetoric that Biden is, you know, is going to lose uh, in 2024 because the public is not giving him credit for what is really a remarkably good economy. I mean, it, the, it looks as though we are going to come in for a soft landing, Heather. That means that the Fed is going to reduce inflation at the same time that we've got a lot of the Biden programs that are stimulating the economy uh, are providing a cushion against a, a recession. Uh, and wages are still uh, holding quite well. In fact, as inflation comes down, real inflation-adjusted wages are going up. Uh, and uh, inequality, believe it or not, because the labor market is still quite tight, inequality is, for the first time in many years, uh, dropping. That is, people at the lower end of the wage scale are beginning, just beginning to do better. Uh, and uh, almost everywhere you look in the economy, it's, it's, it's great. Uh, but why isn't Biden getting credit? Uh, because there's a lag time. Uh, there's always a lag time. Uh, I remember in 1992, uh, George H.W. Uh, Bush uh, was being blamed for an economy that had been bad, but by the time of the election, uh, of 1990, even, even six months before the election, the economy was bouncing back. Uh, it didn't right. matter. Uh, the public still thought the economy was bad. Uh, so there's at least a six-month lag period. And I would say certainly six months from now, I mean, which gets us uh, into the early part of next year, uh, assuming that the Goldilocks economy holds, uh, I think Biden will be getting a great deal of credit. Right. I do think, okay, now I'm going to go into a little psychology here. I do think that with 
you know, this notion of the myth of the rugged individual, if people are feeling slightly better, I don't think on average people want to look to the president and say, this is on you. Wow. Thank you. Kudos. I think you want to kind of look inside and say, God, I did it. So I think if people even are feeling better. So I think it's a, it's a challenging thing to try and get people to give credit to the president of the United States if they feel slightly better. <laughs> I don't know. Well, they don't. I, I think you, you have a very good and important point, Heather. Uh, the, the, what we know from past elections is that it's not that people give the president credit directly. Uh, it's that they assume that a president is involved somehow in uh, the the climate uh, of the economy, the, the, mm -hmm. the climate of, a, of, of the, the kind of general system, how it's operating. Um, and if they're feeling good or better about themselves, uh, they are feeling better about a president. Uh, mm -hmm. If they're not feeling good about where they are, they, they blame the president. Uh, yeah. And even though the president may or may not have very much to do with it, uh, that's where credit and blame ultimately go. Uh, that's right. what we're really talking about. Uh, right. And I think Biden, Biden, uh, the one thing that, that is going to make it more difficult for Biden, as opposed to, say, George H.W. Bush or previous presidents that had, had, had ushered an economy out of the doldrums, um, is that uh, Biden faces uh, a Republican Party that is far more vicious, more negative, and more willing to lie about him and economic circumstances and everything else right. Uh, right. than the Republican Party or the Democratic Party in any previous incarnation that right. I'm aware of during my right. lifetime. Right. Now, one final thing from the week that I keep paying attention to, and I'm sure you do as well, is what DeSantis is doing in Florida and his cronies around education. So we know AP African-American studies out, AP Psych, the most popular AP in the state, I think it was 28,000 kids or something takes it, out because it's woke and it talks about sexuality and whatever the reasoning is. And now, no Romeo and Juliet. Did you see that one this week? The Bard, the Bard has been banned. What is happening? The Bard has been banned because well, the Bard has been banned because uh, look at Romeo and Juliet is salacious. I mean, it's I mean, I mm. I wouldn't allow my kids to. This is absurd. This it's is absurd, absurd Heather. Uh, and this is part and a of shame. This is part of uh, DeSantis's. This is part of uh, part of DeSantis's war against woke. Uh, mm -hmm. But it is also part of DeSantis's efforts to court the evangelical uh, right wing. Christian movement uh, yep. that's behind uh, even his ban, his abortion ban, or his right. uh, his twelve week abortion ban, uh, and uh, it's not going to work. I mean, as we saw, and one of the big things that happened uh, this week also was what happened in Iowa uh, or Ohio, rather. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, these, these abortion bans are unpopular even among Republicans, uh, yep. and. Uh, a lot of Republicans say the government has no role to play here. The Republic, the, the government should not be telling me what I can do in the most intimate aspects of my life. Uh, and uh, I, I think that that was a that DeSantis is is moving exactly opposite to where the public is. Uh, DeSantis is digging a deeper and deeper hole for himself. Right.
which means poor Florida in the meantime, but maybe that'll help us down the line. Well, it's not going to help us in the sense that, you know, as DeSantis fades, uh, that makes, and as, as, as Trump uh, becomes even more dominant in the Republican, Republican Party, and Trump is not going to even participate in the Republican debate, the first Republican debate, right. uh, I don't That's think. Here. Right, could change. Uh, so, uh, so he, you know, he is setting himself up far above everybody else. Uh, he wants DeSantis and everybody and all of the other challengers to disappear from the public's mind. And I think that that is actually what is happening. Okay. Well, you fabulous Substack listeners, just so you know, this is what we call a long distance clutch. So some, a couple people last week said, what's wrong with the sound? And Bob and I, we are doing our best here, drinking our coffee, looking at each other on screens because I'm traveling. So thank you for your patience as we do a long distance clutch. I'm excited to be back together so we can actually clink our mugs together. It's better in real life, IRL. But thanks everyone for your patience as we do a long distance clutch. And we apologize if the sound isn't as glorious as it usually is. Well, Heather, thank you for your patience. You are, you are <laughs> just a, you're the sound of your, your voice, your, your, your incandescence uh, just keeps me going even from a thousand miles away. <laughs> you fibber. <laughs> <laughs> I have to, I'll take it though. I'll take it though. Listen, okay. everybody out there, everybody out there, thank you for joining us. Uh, we hope you have had a great week. We hope you have a great weekend and a great week to come. And we'll see you uh, or certainly talk to you next Saturday. Bye-bye. Bye now.